Hallelujah. Father, we bless your name. You are radically good to us, God. Your gentleness and your, your, your goodness to us, God, extends our understanding. All of our days, Father, you've been good. You love us even in spite of us. You love us, God, when we have not put ourselves in the best positions to be lovable. And we have done everything detestable to even offend you, Father. You still have radical love for us, God. I pray that your love is felt today because your love is real. Unlike, unlike the fake people that can surround us, God, your love is real and it's true. Love is patient. Hallelujah. Your love is kind. It endures, God. It's long-suffering, God. It doesn't break. It doesn't bend. It doesn't bury. It doesn't waver depending on the day, God. Your love is the same because you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, God. Speak to us, Father, right now. Speak to our spirits. You know, God, some of the things we've been going through. You know the things we've been battling. And we know who you're trying to make us become, God. So evolve us today. Hallelujah. I speak evolve, God. I speak an evolution of our entire selves, God. A fresh work, a new thing would begin to take place. It's in the name of Jesus we do pray. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And amen. amen. And look at somebody and say it's good to see you today. Amen. Let's put our hands together and just. Amen. Uh, I want to kind of get into this. I want to get in this bag. I want to really get, get into this word. So I want you to open your Bibles to uh, Revelations chapter 2. Uh, Revelations chapter 2. That's why I forgot Marie you had to leave. I love you. Revelations chapter 2. Chapter 2. Um, verse number. Verse number 2. Revelations chapter 2. Verse number 2. So. Um. I want you to say this with me. Say, we are the church. We are the church. We are the church. And so collectively, we make up what the church is. Um, history, historically, we have kind of un misunderstood or misinterpreted what the church really is. I think that when you do something for so long, it kind of loses its savor, its value, and its essence. It's almost like if you've been in a relationship um, for a long well, I won't say that because my wife is in front of me. So almost like you're having a car for a long time and you almost undervalue the car. You start letting garbage accumulate in it. When you first got it, nobody could even wear their shoes in it. But after two years, three years, you start to forget that value you had on it when you first bought it. And I think the same can be said for the church. In most parts, some people... Some of us value the church and what it is very high. Some of us value the church very low. And then others of us have no idea how to value it, so we treat it any kind of way. But I believe that God has taken an issue with the way, with how we do church, and even how we define church. So I think my job over the next couple of weeks few weeks I really want us to understand how the church has gotten messed up in the place that it is and how it is our job to fix it um, look at your neighbor real quick and just say no we got to fix it it's up to us to fix it it's up to us to fix it so I'm in this in this series about um, fixing the church we got to fix the church and, and so when we talk about Victor fixing the church you really talk about introspectively fixing ourselves first. 
because we are the church. Yes. Tell somebody again, say we are the church. We are the church. The church is not just a building that we go to and have Sunday service. The church is not something that has a steeple on top of it and a priest is on the in, or, or a preacher is on the inside giving out a, a sermon. But the church is made up by definition. The church is only the church because it's a, it's a place where believers gather together. The church, the, the, I believe it's the Greek word, is ecclesia, which literally means the gathering together or coming together. And in Bible study on Tuesday, um, shameless plug, uh, Bible study every Tuesday at 6.15 at the main library in Gary. End of shameless plug. So at Bible study, we talked about how the church a little bit, how when we gather together, that that's the coming together of believers. We talked about Psalms and, and what it says about forsake not the uh, gathering together of yourselves. So when we look at that text in Psalms and we understand that if I'm at Starbucks and Timmy happens to be at Starbucks and Victor happens to stroll in, he's at Starbucks. Guess what happens? Automatically, the church has just come together. The church is bigger than a place that you come. But you, each and every single one of us, is the church. Tell somebody, I'm the church. I'm the church. If you were a church, would, somebody, would you want somebody to come to you? I think that's a good question to consider. Because some of us put on a show of holiness when the truth of the matter is our hearts and our spirits are dark like the wild is underneath. If you're the church, you're a horrible church. <laughs> Has anybody ever invited you to the house? And you're like, sure, sure, yeah, I can't wait to come over. Friday, 7 o'clock comes, hey, you still coming, girl? You know what? <laughs> I can't today. Because you know what their house really looks like. The representation of their house is them. When I see you, I get a good indication of what your house looks like. Based on the aroma that comes from you sometimes, I have a pretty good indication that your house may not be the cleanest, may not be the best place for me to come. And sometimes we can judge people and say, or we, we put on a face and try to pretend that we are something that we are not. But the truth is there. And we have to make sure that we are living a life that would not only please God, but a life that would influence people to want to know more about him. Because we are the church. Look at somebody and say, we are the church. We are the church. We are the church. Lost my point. Um, so we understand the church is a collection of people. And over time, from starting from the book of Acts, when the first church was really introduced after the death of Jesus, church has been, continued to grow. Churches have gathered everywhere all over the world, Joanne, in, in, the, in the name of God. People have gathered to be able to know God and have gathered to learn about God, to pray together, all throughout the New Testament. Even moving into the 19th, 20th, in the 21st century, people have gathered and the churches have begun to grow. But along with the church growing, 
we have made decisions or done things that have reflected or represented the church in a bad way. God is all about fixing what we mess up. That's good. I want you to remember that. What you mess up sometimes, God is okay with fixing. Example, Genesis. Bible says, Tim, the world was so wicked. Everybody was so bad, going after their own fleshly desires. They had no regard for anything relating to God. God says, you know what? I'm sick of them. Noah, build an ark. I'm just going to throw away the whole world and start all over again because they messed it up. And then today, because of the state of our lives and the church, God's like, I got to come down and fix what I put in the hands of man, but they messed up. Have you ever messed up something so bad in life that only God could fix it? Has, has there been some decision that you made that was so detrimental to your life that it only took a God to be able to come and put the pieces together again? I mean, have you ever messed up so bad that when you really thought about the severity of how you messed up, it's a miracle you weren't like in jail or locked up? Have you ever messed up so bad that you couldn't call your best friend to kind of tell him about it because you were really embarrassed about how bad you messed up? I mean, like a stupid mistake, like a, like a you know better mistake. Made a mistake so bad you was driving one time and just said to yourself, now nah, I know better than this, this. I'm slicker than this. God's looking at the state of the church today and he says, you know what? It's so messed up that I'm going to have to come down and fix and rearrange some things. Tell somebody this. Say, be okay with God rearranging some things in your life. And the reason God will have to rearrange some things in our life is because, Joe, we will get so focused on the wrong things that it takes God to come down and get our priorities back in order. So the reason I say the church is out of sorts is because I think collectively we're focused on the wrong thing. I think that not only the church, but Christians that make up the churches are focused on the wrong things. And here's my proof. Revelations, rather. Chapter 2, verse 2. When you've got to say amen. I know your works. I like this message. I like this chapter. I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. God is talking to a church. He's talking to a pastor of a church. He's saying you have been able to test those who call themselves apostles. Um, you found out that they were false and you've dealt with it. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. He says, I know you as a church, you're working for me. I know you have not gotten tired. You've had all the church services. You've shouted very well. You have given to the poor. He says in the beginning of verse 2, I want us to really look at that. I know your works. Wow. So Revelation chapter 2, in the first few chapters of Revelation, God, through John, is, is, is talking to the churches. There are these churches scattered throughout the land. That, that God wants to get some messages to. 
So one of the churches that we're focusing on is the church in Ephesus. He says, I, it's almost like God had a church meeting. <laughs> ever, ever been to a, like a major, major meeting? And like the boss, the CEO comes and he calls everybody? Because instead of singling out the one person that messed up, they're going to talk to the whole department. It's like God's having a, having a church meeting. He says, I know, it's like a performance evaluation. I know your works. He begins to go down the list. I know that you toil, you don't rest, you work for me. I know your patient endurance. I know you can't deal with those who are evil. You have tested those that call themselves apostles and they're fake. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. And you have not grown weary. You've done all of these great things. But I have this issue against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Here's my issue with you, Vic. Not you in general. Here's my issue. God says, you've done all these wonderful things for me. You've built houses. You've given to the poor. That one time when that one lady, she had a flat tire, you pulled over. You had on your suit or your really good dress and you changed the tire. You've done all these great things. And I've accounted for them. But here's the one issue I have, Joe. I, I know that your patient endurance, I know that you pray regularly. You, you, you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and you really seek my face. You, you, you develop a prayer life. and Gosh, I'm really, really thankful for that. But here's my issue with you, Tim. You know, I, you, know you, you fast. You really know how to sacrifice. You have, you've not given your body over to be used by the devil. It's great, man. But here's the one issue I got with you. You have forgotten why you do what you do. You've left your first love. God's issue with the church is not that it's full of the capacity or God's issue isn't even that people have church or they preach one way and they shout. And they, God doesn't care about that stuff. God's issue with us and the church is that we have left the full reason why we even got involved with him. I've been married for eight years and I would hate in the next eight years, my wife sits me down and she says, Tim, listen, you bought me the fattest ring I could have ever wanted. Joe, she says, you bought me the biggest house that I desired. Vic, she says, you know, you got me the car that I've been dreaming about since I was a little girl. You fulfilled my every wish, my every petition, my every plea, everything I've asked for, you've gotten it for me. In fact, she says, baby, there has been nothing I haven't thought about that you didn't act on and get what I wanted. I thank you for that. But I have an issue with you. You forgot how to love me. You got so occupied with the production that you forgot I just wanted you to love me. God is giving us a very, very, very straightforward message. You're doing all of the right things but you have forgotten why you're doing them. You give to the poor. You, 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 you labor for me. You have faith. You're believing me to change some things for you. But Tim, you have lost or you fell out of love with why you were doing it in the first place. Tell somebody real quick, sit next to you, say, you gotta, you gotta fall back in love. Have you ever... 
Have you ever loved somebody? The Brandy song just came to my head. <laughs> but have you ever loved somebody so much that when they stopped loving you, you went crazy trying to get them to love you again? Have you ever done that? Has, has somebody ever like really broken your heart and you were like, nah, this ain't going to end like this. I'm sending you flowers. I'm sitting outside of your job. I'm calling, hey, such and such a Tell I love her. <laughs> Have you ever made somebody so mad that you didn't mean to make mad, you loved them so much that you jumped hurdles just to kind of prove your allegiance to them again? And I made some mistakes in the beginning, or the middle of our marriage. Um, I had to like go overboard to prove my love and affection to my wife again. We got to work real hard. She lost trust in me, so I had to like work extra hard to prove like my allegiance, how much I loved her. So I was going like every day, hey, love you. <laughs> thinking about you. Oh my gosh, I'm just so thankful for you. Oh, you know, going overboard. Because when you essentially lose or fall out of sync with somebody who mattered to you, you will move hurt, you will move hell and earth to get back to that good grace, to get back to that place again. God's, God is saying, man, I've been so good to the people that make up my church. They've gotten so accustomed to me blessing them with my hand, that they forgot to seek after my face. They've forgotten about me. God, how is it that we can gather in his name but forget about him? <laughs> it's like they're going to somebody's birthday party and not even bringing them a gift. Hey, thanks for the food and the cake. I appreciate it. All right. It was your birthday today? It's crazy. God says, I've done so many things. But you have allowed yourself to get preoccupied with what I've done that you forgot who I am. God just wants to have a relationship pure and unfaltered with his people. It's all about relationships. You have left your first love. Tell somebody, I asked them this question, have you fallen out of, out of love with God? And Joanne, we allow ourselves to get, it's, it's easy, see, I get it. You know, right? It's easy because we, get, we, got, we got families, we got spouses, we got jobs, we got husbands, wives, kids. And, and it's easy to stop paying attention to somebody who really matters. When, when you get into new seasons in life and God begins to do new things for you, I don't even need this no more. When God begins to do new things in your life, it's easy to forget what you used to do for somebody. When God begins to bless you and give you the things you've been praying for, it's easy to forget, oh, it was, it was you all the time. When God brings a new boo, you know, you was crying the other day because the other boo broke your heart and he brings a new one. When you've been praying that God will give you that job and he didn't give it to you, now you're taking double overtime. It's easy to forget from whom the blessings flow. It's easy to get out of sync. And for many of us, God is trying to get us the message that, hey, hey, I know you're praying. I know you're going to a church. But you forgot how to love me. Remember when you first fell in love with God? Like really, not, not when you first started going to church, but remember when you first like really thought about God and who he was and 
you had this experience with him. I remember when I first, I first, Tim, fell in love with God. You could not stop me from praying at five o'clock in the morning. I was living with my mama. I worked the whole house up. Lights on, gospel music playing. I'm praying! I was in love. Before I went to bed at night, I prayed at least 30 minutes. Extreme devotion because I was in love with this man that changed my life. And then somewhere along the lines, things changed. I began to pray less. But you know what, Tim? It's not like I was praying less because I was super busy doing wicked stuff. I was too busy doing churchy stuff that I had stopped doing the stuff that really mattered. You get so busy doing the stuff you think is important that you leave what, what really matters on the back burner. The stuff you do with your hands isn't as important as the devotion you give to God with your heart. God doesn't want the love that comes with your action. He wants that love that comes with the devotion of your heart. He wants you to fall back in love with him. Help me preach. Say this to somebody real quick. Say, say you got to fall back in love with God. Look at somebody else. Wake them up. Make them feel good. Say, hey, fall back in love with God. Y'all didn't say it to Vic. Vic over there by himself. Y'all say it to Vic. Say, Vic, fall back in love with God. All of us at one point or another have fallen out of love with God. I know this because the Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short. So what do we do with that? All have sinned. All have fallen short. Or what if we're like the, the people of the church in Ephesus that, that God's talking to, that we have endured trials. We have been praying. We have been fasting. We have been the perfect Christian in the regards of work. What do we do when we've fallen out of love with God? Got good news. Just because you've fallen out of love, does that mean you have to stay there? Oh man, I love God so much because God says, even though you've fallen out of love with me and you're far from me, you've made yourself distant from me, I don't even expect you to come back to me. God says, I'll come and find you where you are. Hallelujah. If that's not reason enough to give God my full heart and attention, I don't know what else is. He says, I will leave the 90 and 9. I will leave the people that still love me. Ooh, man, that is heavy. I will leave the people that are still devoted to me. I will leave them and go after the one that forgot about me. How many times has God come after us? Subtle reminders. You know, we're riding in the car, not thinking about God, but he, he reminds us of something. And we're like, ooh, I need to get back to church. <laughs> or, or, or something happens in the, ooh, Jesus, I need to pray. Right? Right? Something hits your spirit. God does subtle reminders, but God is always willing to leave the 99 and come after you. My prayer today is that we would realize that God is aggressively trying to come back after us. And some of the shaking we experience in our lives, some of the tumult, some of the trouble that we have to endure isn't because the devil's so busy. God's trying to wake us up and let us know, I'm trying to get back to you. Some of the suffering, Crystal, that we have to go through is actually, the, or the humbling that God sends us through is because God's trying to make us aware that he's coming back to get us. 
God is coming back for his church.